So this morning, we are concluding our series revealed. If you have not been with us for the last four weeks, where have you been? We've missed you so much, uh, but that's okay. We're going to catch you up, uh, not all today, but you can go online. You can catch out our, uh, catch our messages on JoliaNouse.org, and you can catch up with us. But in short, if you haven't been with us for the last few months, uh, we've been saying here that the Christmas story is a continuous story. And we believe that Christmas continues way after Christmas, according to the rest of the world. As God's people, we kind of keep a different sort of rhythm in time. So, Epiphany, the season that we're in now, is an extension of the Christmas season. And so, Epiphany is this, is that God revealed through Jesus, reveals himself in a real way. That's how we got the series entitled Real Deal, that God, through Jesus, reveals himself in a real way. And we see that in Jesus, that he didn't just come for God's chosen people, but Rather that he came for all people, that he came for the whole world. And we've discovered over the last few weeks that Jewish people get a little upset at some of the people that God is, is expressing his kingdom and his love. So this morning, I want to think with you about a few things. Have you ever had experience in your life, or maybe multiple experiences, that kind of seem separate, uh, maybe a little compartmentalized, but then as, as time goes on, you look back on those experiences and you realize that somehow all those experiences are somehow connected in this great life. So you're shaking your thinking. It's kind of like when I was studying for my master's, we had this overall theme of missional leadership. And then we took like philosophy and in-depth Bible studies and how we interpret scripture. And I, I remember thinking, why does this happen to you in the missional church? Then when I finished, and I took a step back, and I began to rehash all the classes that I took. All makes sense. So that's kind of what we're going to do today. Uh, if you haven't been with us since I've been here, uh, we've gone through three particular series. The first one we call Faithful Presence. And we talked about the presence of God. We then went into a series called Posture. Uh, and we talked about the posture that God calls his people, a humble posture. The submissive posture. The other thing that we need, the series that we went called Priority, Making First First Thing. So I say that to say this, that this morning we're going to take those three thoughts and combine them in this one story. If, if, if there's any story that we could give language and thought and, and realness to those three series, it would be the story that we're going to be discovering this morning in Luke. And so we've been in Luke over the last, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks. And uh, I know many of you are scholars and you've been in the church longer than I've been alive. But for those of you who don't know Luke, let me introduce you to us. Luke is a doctor and he has this advanced literary writing style, which is completely different than the disciples. The disciples weren't extremely bright. Luke was a doctor, he was extremely smart. But Luke wasn't one of the twelve, as we always say. He wasn't one of the insiders. And so Luke, for him, he had to make this Jesus character real. He had to make Jesus his own. He had to know Jesus for himself. And so Luke sets out on this huge adventure and interviews all these people to get the story straight. Because there were some weird stories going on about Jesus. And so we have the most detailed account about Luke that that we get, uh, really more so than any other gospel. But... One thing I want you to notice this morning is who the letter is written to. It's addressed to Theophilus. 
Now, scholars argue that Theophilus is this Roman official. But really, we can see that it's a broader audience in the name itself. Many of you know that Theo or Theos means God, and Philo or Philo means love. And so Luke is addressing those people who would consider themselves God lovers or God followers. Now, hear me when I say this. Often in the church, we'll say this, that that God is like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. Whatever we say about God must be revealed in the life of Jesus. And whatever we see in the life of Jesus has to be true about the nature and character of God. And so I say all that to say this, that when Luke addresses Theophilus, the God lovers, he is saying this, that if you love God, then you must do and love everything that Jesus does. Often in the church, we like to ignore some of the things that Jesus does, like loving our enemies and forgiving people and being people of peace. We kind of set those things aside. But if we really love Jesus, if we really love God, then we have to love Jesus. And if we are loving Jesus, then we love God. And one of the essential parts of this is that we find that if we love God, there is a response. And so this morning, we get into Luke 5, and, and we'll see this, that Jesus quickly addresses three human conditions in Luke 5. Sin, impurity, and disease. Now, it starts out like a huge bad joke. It starts out like this. A fisherman, a paralytic, a tax collector, and one with leprosy all encounter Jesus. And then, I don't know, somebody can come up with a cool joke about a fisherman, a tax collector, a leper, and that would be awesome. If you do, I'll give you a candy bar at your church. Uh, just come around. Probably never hurts. But interestingly, uh, those characters in chapter 5 each contain those human conditions. Or they contain all three, or maybe just two of them. But think about the fisherman. In the fisherman, he's, he's sinful, but he's not necessarily impure or ill. And then we think about the leper as impure and disease, but not sinful. The paralytic is ill, but not impure or sinful. And the tax collector is sinful and virtually impure. But that's not the point. The point is this, that at the end of those stories, there was a massive transformation that takes place within the lives of those people. And they experience God's salvation in light of their faith. But, but interestingly, in Luke 5, there's, there's a contrast. Uh, juxtaposed to, to the Pharisees, in contrast to the Pharisees, we see these religious people who are known as the, uh, the ones who are pure. They were the, the ones who were right. They had all the right religious practices down. But in the presence of Jesus, they are the ones who are portrayed as the impure. And they fail to do things first. They fail to love Jesus. Remember what you said. If you fail to love Jesus, then you're failing to love God. The second thing they do is they fail to love others, which is funny because that's like the greatest command, right? Love God and love others. So the interesting thing is this, is that the religious ones, the ones who are in church practices, who find themselves uh, part of the weekly temple worship, these are the ones that we would expect to, to understand God's love and then be part of that mission. But yet, these are not the ones who are on the receiving end of it. It's these kind of artists, radical, crazy people who have diseases and illnesses who are on the receiving end of God's love. We said last week that these words, was sent, was translated empathy in the Greek, which sounds a lot like empathy. 
So, the, so those who, who God is after are the ones who are the love of the They are the recipients of God's empathy. They're not just recipients in the story. You have to hear this. They become participants of the story. And so what Luke wants to say to us as he addresses those of us who are Theophilus, lovers of God, he wants to say this, that, that as we receive God's grace and love, we are response able to respond to that love. We call that in the church free will. That, that God has enabled, has given you the choice to then respond. So we believe that not only are we response able, but we have response abilities. That if we love Jesus, notice the conditional statement, if we love Jesus, we will respond. Great introduction, right? Alright, glad y'all with me. Why don't we stand? If you'd stay with me, turn to Luke 5, chapter 1, and we will dive into God's word this morning. Luke 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you have said so, I will let down my nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that there... So I want to take you with me to the Sea of Galilee for a minute. Can I, can I do that? We see from the beginning that, that Jesus is a very creative kind of God. You, you have, to, have to get what's going on at the sea here. That people are beginning to gather around Jesus. And I, it doesn't state how many people, but we know that this is a large crowd. So much so that, that if Jesus were to continue teaching from the land, people wouldn't be able to hear. So this is the cool part. If you were to go to the Sea of Galilee next to Capernaum, there are kind of these cliffs and these zigzag inlets. And if, if you were to go there today, you could push out in a boat, and you could talk in a normal voice like this. I'm like, I have to talk in a normal voice. And people could hear you if they were standing on the shore. So, amazingly, Jesus kind of gets away from the people, and then begins to teach them from the boat, and sitting on the shoreline, they can hear him quite clearly. And so what I love about this thought is that, that Jesus will use anything. He will do anything to, to bring about God's message, and and he will do anything to, to make sure that people hear the good news of salvation. But I wanted to, I wanted to point out some other things about the Sea of Galilee. Now, now hang with me here. The Sea of Galilee was also known in other Gospels as the Lake of Tiberias, named after the great river Tiberias. How fitting, right? Tiberius was known as this great Roman general uh, who was kind of this guy of conquest and military defeat. Uh, he kind of laid the foundation for the northern frontier. But interestingly, Tiberius was kind of an odd duck. Uh, he was kind of a reclusive kind of guy. He was kind of somber. He was known as the gloomiest man. That's how he was known. And so in John's Gospel, you will see that John often talks about uh, the Sea of Galilee, he'll say, at the Sea of Galilee, which was Tiberius' lake, which I think is kind of funny that he constantly knows that. He points out that, that this is the lake of Tiberius, which Luke then says, uh, 
of the language that he uses. He calls it Lake Gennesaret. But this is kind of a contrast to the picture that we get with Tiberius. This area was kind of a lovely plain where there were lush fields and there were hot springs where people could go and get healing for their skin. And this was a fertile place. And so the Jewish people loved to use the derivatives of this word. And often the meaning would be something like this. The, its fruit is as sweet as the sound of a harp. It was known as the riches of the gardens, or the garden of riches. It was also known as the prince of the gardens. Now, so think about those two things. The Lake of Tiberias is kind of this gloomy, uh, mundane kind of thought about the lake. And then we have uh, contrasted in Luke's gospel, this lake of fertile soil. Now, that's kind of the foundation for the story. I need you to bookmark that in your head. We're going to come back to it. Can you put that on pause for a minute? Put it on pause and come back to it. Because this is where the story really, really gets good. I love this part. In verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets for a catch, set the nets out for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't cut anything. But because you say to do so, we'll, we'll go ahead and do so. And when they did, they caught a large number of fish, so many fish that the nets began to break and the boats began to sink. Now, this is what I think about this part of the story. Our human minds, our consumer minds, are driven to the tangible aspects of the story. What I mean by that is this. Often as kids, we always talk about the miraculous catch of fish. Right? As a kid, we talk about so many nets, and that's what we're breaking. And so our mind immediately goes to the tangible things in the story. But I think we, we focus on the miraculous catch of fish... Because that's ingrained in our, in our minds that God's blessing comes about by abundance. That we miss out on what the story is telling us. So I'm going to think about this idea with you that I've kind of been working through why was the boat sinking? There's more to it than the fish. There's got to be more to it than the fish. And so as I began to read it and began to discover it's, it's not, so about, not so much about the sinking of the boat and the miraculous fish, but the sinking of the boat is about what's going on at work in the boat, which is God's presence. Now, I want to think with you about this word presence for a minute. In the Hebrew, there's this wonderful, ominous word called kavod. Can you say that with me? Kavod, right? And kavod is, is used in the Old Testament over 200 times to, to talk about God's presence, to talk about His glory, when God's glory revealed to Moses. It's revealed in this word, clothe, which interestingly means weightiness or heaviness. Now put this together. The boat is not sinking because of the miraculous catch of fish. The boat is sinking because the presence of God revealed in Jesus is in the boat. And the boat can no longer contain the presence of God. So I love this thought that it's the kabod, the weightiness of God that has come through Jesus to meet everybody where they are that causes this boat to sink. And the real miracle is not just to catch a fish, but the real miracle is Peter himself. Notice that God's kabod, the weightiness of God that meets us where we are, not just to our knees. That not only is the boat sinks, so do we. Boats can be sunk easily. But 
but a hardened heart is impossible to reach, right? Some of you think about the people in your lives who refuse, refuse, refuse to know Jesus. Maybe they haven't experienced the presence of God. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is the point of Ash Wednesday. This is the point of Ash Wednesday. Many of you are like, Ash Wednesday, that's like the Catholic thing, right? No, this is a Christian thing. I always say that. But the point of Ash Wednesday is that we experience the devote of God as we come into us when you'll experience a dark, kind of ominous place. You'll experience the devote of God that then puts us at a place where we I'll tell you my personal story. It changed my life forever. And that's why I'm big on Ash Wednesday. But this puts us in the posture that God calls us to. This posture of humility. That when we experience the presence of God, we are then placed in a posture to receive His love. But it's not just about experiencing His presence. It's not just about submitting ourselves to the posture. Some of us have this now greater. It's in the response, as we said. That if we love God, we will respond. Those of you who are Theophilus. So this is the point where I take you back to the lakes in the beginning. Remember I said, bookmark this stop. I said earlier that the lakes play a foundation for this for this story, you have to understand that that when Peter confesses to God, when he announces Jesus as Lord, when he says, I am sorry, wait for me, Lord, I am a sinful man, isn't that an odd response? In the story, we would think to ourselves, Peter should be amazed at the catch of fish. They'd be saying, Jesus, this is awesome. Where did all these fish come from? But instead, he has this weird line, Wait for me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, it's kind of odd. But again, as he's experienced by the presence, he responds in the way that God's presence makes us respond. And so this response of confession is a turning point. It is a literal, uh, this is what we call repentance, that I'm heading this way, and all of a sudden now I'm turning this way. It's a 180. And often we think that repentance is about our personal sins, but but let me tell you, repentance is about getting the systems that have shaped your life out of you. This was the greatest struggle for the Israelites, that as they came out of Egypt, Moses and God continually tried to get Egypt out of them. And so it's not just about personal sin, but it's about your whole being being transformed. And so here comes the lights. I know I had a little side comment there, but the lake of Tiberias, think about this. The Lake of Tiberias is named for what it represents, the Roman Empire. It's a thing about every day that you go out to fish, you step in a boat, or go into the Lake of Tiberias. It is a constant reminder to the system that they fed into, that my catch of fish, I'm going to make taxes on this catch of fish to, you guessed it, Tiberias. That all, everything that I'm doing now is, is caught up in this system. But what Luke wants to say to us this morning is that Lake Gennesaret is, is this place of fertility. It's this place where fruit is like the sound of a harp. And what, it, what Luke is saying is this is the call to God's kingdom. Guess what? Peter, no longer will you feed into the system of oppression that puts people on crosses. But you will be catching people and offering them the fruit and life and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not excited about this. I need at least one prayer. 
There we go. <laughs> and so what we're saying is this is that as Jesus speaks people where they are, this is the kingdom of God coming on earth as in heaven. And this is where God's code is revealed. Everywhere. Not just in the sanctuary, in the synagogue, and in the temple. But God is meeting his people everywhere. It's not just about uh, coming in on Sundays, but it's about the streets. It's about the seas. It's about the boats. It's the world of God's glory. That he is the temple. That he becomes love. That he becomes the one who forgives. This is the beauty of God's presence. That it moves us from the church and into the streets. We have responsibility. We can see this in Jesus. As I said earlier, Jesus goes from the synagogue to the sea. Yeah, you will go on and look and you'll see that he goes back to the synagogue. But eventually, the doors of the church are going to be slammed in Jesus' face. Slammed in Jesus' face. And at, that point, at that point, his pulpit becomes a boat. The roads. The homes. The tables. These are the places where Jesus now begins his ministry. Which tells us that God's presence, again, as the Jews believed, was solely in the temple, is now everywhere. That God's glory to be revealed to all. I think about the disciples as they, when Jesus ascended into heaven, I think about the disciples. What was life like for them? There's some indication that some of them went back to their jobs. But guess what? It wasn't an ordinary job anymore. After experiencing and being in ministry with Jesus, they, they realized the importance of continuing God's glory throughout the world. That God's glory is about all of his creation, not just the chosen Pharisees. Not just the people who come to church on Sunday. And so I think this is the thought for us this morning, that, that we need to be a moving people. I want you to hear this. Write this down if you're taking notes. That every opportunity is a mission opportunity. Every opportunity is a mission opportunity. Every moment is a God moment. That God revealed through Jesus is the missio dei. The missional God. The God of mission. The interesting thing is this, is that it was the religious ones who missed out on what God was doing. So my question this morning for us is, are we missing out on what God is doing? When the doors are shut in Jesus' face, Jesus wants to, to say to us that, that God is just not moving in the church, but he's moving there. And so I, as I began to think about every opportunity is a mission opportunity, I began to think about our church and, and the vision that we have as a, as, a, as a board and as a, as a leadership team. One of the ways that we've done this is the Super Bowl. Now, I know it's been a struggle for some of us to catch on to this idea, but your home is a place of ministry. Your dinner table is a place where people can experience the love of God. And so we said this week that instead of gathering as a church on Super Bowl Sunday to watch the Super Bowl together, we're going to divide ourselves up Invite each other over to homes, but not only that, invite your neighbors to join you. Now, I don't know if you invited your neighbor this week. Intimidating task. It's just a job. I can't say more. Uh, 
But our God is this, is that every opportunity is a God opportunity. Every moment is a God moment. And so we believe that as we gather and we share soup together, that maybe some conversations will begin to happen around around the dinner table and around the TV as we watch the stupid bowl. I mean, Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That these become moments for us that and God's commode, His weightiness, His heaviness, His presence is real among us. This is a responsibility that we have as God's people is to carry this on, to reveal God's glory. Now, trust me, God can reveal His glory on His own. He doesn't need you. But the beauty is, He's commissioned you. You are co laborers in this project called the Kingdom of God. I think about Christy this morning. Christy, I hope it's okay if I share this story, but I feel like I'm bragging on you, so I'm going to share it. Christy came to me and said, No, Pastor, I'm struggling because I want to serve, but it's just not the right time for me. And I looked at Christy and I said, Christy, you are serving. Your greatest service that you can do for the kingdom of God right now is serve your husband. Even though Ryan is struggling with MS, we continue to pray for him. We continue to pray for healing. But, but I said to Christy, "You are serving God. The greatest expression of Christ's love is between a husband and a wife. And your kids, your kids are witnessing the way that you care for Brian. They're witnessing how you are committed to each other. That when it gets tough, it's not just I'm done with you. See you later. I'll find somebody else. But rather, it's we're in this together. And we want God to be at the center of this." Every moment is a God moment. Even when you're home serving your own love, loved ones and family who are sick. I think about our mothers. I think about our mothers often. Because, uh, you know, as moms know, stay-at-home moms know, people say, what do you do for a living? Why well, say, you know, stay at home. Oh, so you don't, you don't work then. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, we sleep in and eat bonbons and take naps all day. No, listen. Let me tell you, moms in here that have little ones that are constantly crying and bugging you and annoying you, every opportunity is a missional opportunity. Every moment is a shaping moment. That how we respond to our kids screaming and yelling and annoyance is really a way that we can express Christ's love once again by being patient. I'm not good at this. I'm terrible at this. That's why I don't stay home. Ladies <laughs> <laughs> and gentlemen, hear me this morning. That when I say every opportunity is a missional opportunity, your job is a missional opportunity. Many of us go to our jobs thinking, oh, I'm going to work again, I'll get my work, I'll go home, and I'll be done. I know not all of you think that. But there are some of us who really hate me. But, but it's kind of wrapped up in this question of, what are you going to do? Yesterday we were in a wonderful board meeting, and I've asked if I could share this, but we were talking about the future of the church and what the church is going to look like, and somebody said, well, how are people going to know what we're doing in here? And she said, Pastor, what are you going to do so people will know what's going on? Of course, quickly, I reversed that. I said, no, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think that's the question that, listen, uh, I would love right now to quit what I'm doing and work in a, in a, in a secular job with atheist people who don't believe in God. This is an opportunity for conversations, but 
as you know, we have a higher responsibility to the church and the people of the church to shepherd them, which I know I don't always do a great job, but I'm learning. Thanks for being patient. I got a week left. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, if you love Jesus, you have the responsibility to reveal God's code to the world around you. That every moment in your job is a missional moment. That every conversation that you have, even if it appears meaningless, by your very demeanor expresses Christ's love. So I guess this is what I want for the church, is that we, and Joey at first, in order to become a community of hope, become a missional people. Yes, we'll take mission trips. That's part of it. But the identity of the church is that each of us see every part of our lives as important, as a God moment. That God can be revealed in the very conversations that we're having with people. That's why we're doing what we do at the Super Bowl. That's why Christy loves her husband. That's why moms shape and form and love their kids. And that's why you go to work on Monday. So, experience God's presence. I promised this week on Wednesday, I won't make a promise, but I'm just hoping. Experience God's presence this Wednesday and last Wednesday. You'll be put on your knees as you realize who you are in God. And when you think about his love that's been given to you, that he becomes the priority. Make first the first place. And we become a people who are sent to the world. May the sending God send you this week. Amen. Amen. This morning we are going to continue in a time of worship as we uh, take communion. If, if those who are serving communion can come through this morning, then wonderful. As we think about this identity of God, this missional God, we notice that Jesus is constantly present with people around the dinner table. In fact, in Luke, if anything is happening or going around on, it's always around the dinner table. Invites, or excuse me, Jesus invites people that people on the outside are looking in and saying, What is going on? Well, guess what? We are the people that are invited to this Whether you want to admit it or not, we are the paradise. We are the citizens people. We are the lovers. We are the chiefs. We are the liars. And the table has been set for you this morning. God's praise. Of his word. And so, in the Nazarene Church, we believe that part of taking communion, that, that every time we, we, we receive the body and the blood of Christ, that somehow there's this inner work of grace. And that's my prayer this morning, that as you come and you receive God's glory, God's love will be revealed to you this morning. That's my hope for you. So as you come, think about the God who sits with you. The God who meets you where you are. The God who offers audience to you. That's where he met his disciples. That's where he met his soon to be followers. Come to the table. And he, let me pray for you. Lord, we give thanks for the sacraments of this day that are before us. We pray that as we partake in these, these elements that, that we experience your forgiveness. That your sacrifice on the cross is not just for the chosen few, but for everyone. So Lord, if there's somebody here today who is, is kind of feeling like, I'm not worthy to receive, 
But you let them know that in God's eyes, everyone is worthy of this. We love you for the way that you're working in this church, the way that you're moving among our people. This is exciting. We bless us now. Bless these elements in this time. We pray. Amen. Uh, what we will do this morning is, as you come forward, we'll have three people. One will be holding bread, the other the cup. You'll come forward as you feel better. You'll take a piece of the bread, you'll dip it in the cup, and eat it there. And then you can go back and sit in your seat, and we'll dismiss them.
Thank you. 